This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Now, I don't know if you guys know uh, about DA-14. Anybody know what, what I'm talking about when I start with those letters? A few Days ago, in space, an asteroid the size of a football field hurled by at what astronomers called a near miss, literally just several hundred miles away from Earth's atmosphere. We could see the asteroid coming for a very long time, and very quickly after we discovered it, we knew that it would not hit Earth. But in its wake, a smaller asteroid, an asteroid really about the size of my Volkswagen Jetta, pierced the Earth's atmosphere over Kazakhstan and exploded in Russia. You see... In the early part of the 20th century, especially in, in our world and in our, our system, where we are right now, rights were not delegated equally. Not between races and not between genders. And in the early part of the century, there was a push for equality in rights, equality in representation. Which is a good thing. Women were given the right to vote because of that. Now when we stand and look across the spectrum of who is representing us in Congress. We see men and women and African Americans and multiple minorities represented among that crew. But in the push for equality... We lost a little bit of identity. And it's an identity that we didn't make up. It's an identity that God gave us. If you would look at this passage of scripture, this verse, Genesis 1.27. Look at this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female he created them you see as the story of God begins to unfold in scripture from the very beginning as God recounts the creation of all the world he begins by telling us that when he created man he created them to be men and women and I'm really afraid that in the push For equality, we have downplayed the difference that God installed into the heart of a man and into the heart of a woman. A few weeks ago, if you weren't here, I did share a message to the men. Uh, It was a little confrontational because sometimes men just need a good swift kick to the, you know, what I'm talking about, right? Today, 
Uh, I'm going to be a little bit more pastoral uh, because we are talking about the heart of the ladies. Let me tell you this as we begin to dive into this. God created men and women to be different. This is in your notes. In the heart of the differences is a different set of priorities. Now, I don't know if you guys heard about the group that went hunting for some deer over in Montgomery County. I know some of y'all are from Montgomery County. I'm sorry I'm telling this joke. Um, All right. There's six of them. They went out in pairs to go hunting deer, right? So they're out out with their their parties. And late in the evening, four of them had had got back, hadn't seen anything. So they came back empty-handed. But after waiting for about 30, 45 minutes, one of the other guys stumbled up carrying a deer. And they looked at him and they said, Bob, where's Jimmy? You got a deer, that's awesome, but where's Jimmy? He said, well, Jimmy got got shot in a hunting accident, but I I brought the deer back because I know that a poacher won't steal Jimmy. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense, does it? That doesn't make any sense. That guy has his priorities all mixed up. And it is really easy to get our priorities mixed up. As just a kind of introduction to this message, I do want to speak to those who are single. Because a lot of the time when we talk about this stuff, we, we talk about this in the context and we use examples of marriage. But let me just say this, that the priorities that God placed in the hearts of men and women should be a part of every relationship to the degree to which that relationship presents itself. And what that means is that God calls men to provide and to protect. And I mentioned last time that when we were talking about that, that there was a study done with two men and a woman in an elevator and an assailant that was going, and uniformly the men stepped in front of the woman to protect her. Right, But the level of protection that we feel for, for a woman should never, it, it always needs to exist within the tension that that relationship is found. And so you might work with some ladies and you might feel protective, but you should not feel as protective of them as you do of your wife. All right? So let me, for those of you who are, who are here and you're single, let me just make some observations for you. First of all, Jesus Christ, the most fully alive human person who ever lived, was not married. And so that means completely embracing the person that God designed you to be does not hinge on you having somebody else. Okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is that the scriptures actually tell us that singleness is a gift. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. And to that end, several great men throughout the history of the church have actually sought out singleness for that reason. And here's the the kicker, and I want you to get this. A person is not less of a man or more of a woman Because they are or they are not married. Okay? I want you to get that today. That the heart of 
of God that God placed in us that is the heart of a man or the heart of a woman. It is, it's not that we should look at someone and go, well, she is more of a woman because she has a husband to care for. She is more of a woman because she has kids that she cares for. He is less of a man because he has never gotten married. That's not how it is. As a matter of fact, let's look back to Jesus. Jesus is the most fully alive human being and he was not married himself. Okay. But this topic is important. One of the things that I would just like to address as we begin to step into the way that God designed the heart of a woman is that if most people in our culture were asked that question today, most people would come back and say that the difference between a woman and a man is a woman is beautiful. And our culture has embraced that definition of femininity. That femininity is completely wrapped up in the context of beauty. And before we even step into looking at the way that God designed the heart of a woman, I wanted to address that first. And as a matter of fact, we're going to have some guest speakers today. And so I want to let you look at how uh, Miss Beth Moore would talk about beauty for a moment. Keith and I were there on we one of those trams that takes you in an airport. I think we were in Washington, D.C. We had just come back, I believe, from Angola, uh, where we had gone uh, for uh, life outreach. And we were in Washington, D.C. and going from one terminal to another in one of those trams. Sitting across from us was a woman. I could, you know when you're trying so hard not to stare? And I mean, I mean, I was even trying to hold my hand like this so I could keep my chin up like this. I just kept staring at her because she had, I'm going to bring out a name from the past that some of you I don't even recognize. She was trying to attain that Bo Derek look. She had, you could tell it was bleached blonde hair. And listen, don't make a mistake. I'm into bleached blonde hair. That is not a sin. I feel certain of it. Do not misunderstand. But it was, okay, it was just solid straight. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just perfectly straight. Her face looked exactly like a Barbie doll. Every part of it was completely perfect. Her nose was completely perfect. Everything about her face, and I'll make no further description, but I need you to just understand, everything had been well done. <laughs> And I thought to myself, you don't look like anyone. You don't look like anyone. In trying to attain perfection, she had lost all distinctiveness. I'm going to tell you from a distance, one of my Bible study girls will know it's me because this is my profile. <laughs> it's me. It's part of what makes me look different than somebody else standing next to me. It's me. I like it. I didn't for a long time, but it's part of what makes me look different than somebody else. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we trying to attain? It's such a trap because there will still always be somebody prettier, somebody smarter, somebody more successful, somebody sexier, and very quickly, somebody younger. <laughs> Honestly, when 
when I consider what a young woman faces in our world today, this is one of those things that breaks my heart. Because the standards that all of you ladies are being leveraged against are completely unattainable. They're inhuman. And God is so smart. I mean, Jesus is a genius if you don't know that yet. Uh, in, in his word, he, he has already laid out for us what becomes beautiful. And, and for many of us, we have really looked at the wrong definition of what beauty is. So I, before we step into this really good conversation today, I wanted to look at this passage of Scripture. 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4. Read along with me if you've got your Bibles and you are really quick at turning them. That's awesome. Get there. If you've got your phones, look them up there too. 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4. This is the uh, Apostle Peter writing. And then in this passage, he's giving some guidelines to husbands and wives. And he says this. This is so profound. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Because I can tell you that I have met some attractive women who were ugly, Because beauty is not something that can be so clearly defined as saying you have the right hair, you have the right body. You see, beauty is something that as the Apostle Peter is writing this, it's not to say that wearing gold jewelry or braiding your hair or any of that is bad. What he's pointing us to is that there's something that's deeper than what we've made beauty. And I would encourage you that God, des- I mean, God designed this whole thing. Beauty's not something that's, that's new. And the encouragement of this passage is to be beautiful. But it's a different kind of beauty than what most of us have been told that we need to be. So let's dive into it today. The heart of a woman. The heart of a woman. The first thing that we want to see as we look at God's design for the heart of a woman is is taking a step back and actually going back to that moment when God created woman. Now see, I told you last week that sometimes we just kind of underplay the wisdom of God. We we look at this this story of God creates man, gives him a job, he names all the animals, and then he looks at him and says, man's alone. And sometimes we read that story and interpret God saying to himself, I made a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. 
You see, in that moment, God is showing all of humanity that without a woman, there will always be loneliness in the world. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be in relationship, but God created this woman, and this is in your notes, or if you're taking notes, I would write this down, that in creation, God made woman to help man, that there was a problem. And, and I, I, I found a book, and I'm going to reference that later, but I'm going to let the, the lady who really kind of wrote this book explain this. Would you, this is Lisa Bevere. Uh, she's a phenomenal speaker and writer. If you would just watch this clip with me. The truth is, Kelly, we, it's not that we don't like women. We don't like what we have spiraled down to represent. And you know what? God doesn't like wow, doesn't. what we have spiraled down to represent because God has this amazing, amazing designation for women and calling for women and contribution of women. I mean, women, first nine chapters of Proverbs are in the feminine pronoun. Wisdom is a woman. You know, I mean, it's like woman wisdom. I mean, women aren't supposed to be foolish. We're not supposed to be gossips. We're not supposed to be slanders. We're not supposed to use our word to separate and malign and slander. We're supposed to use our words to build the lives of others, to build the house of God, to build the marketplace, to build the judicial system, to build the medical. We're supposed to come into every area and build and make strength connections. But I believe that women don't like each other because they perceive each other as a problem mm -hmm. and they see men as answers. I love what Oprah is doing. She's mobilizing women to be answers. But even Oprah's magazine on the cover will say things like how to find the man, how to know if the man is talking to you correctly, how to know where cities where there's a lot of men. And, and I was reading this cover and the Holy Spirit speaks to me. He says, but I am not a man. I am not a man that I should lie. And you know, that also would mean that men can lie, but women can lie too. But, you know, the things I'm looking for, I'm not going to get from a man. I'm going to get from God. And the truth is, when I think that men are going to be my answer in my life and that women are going to be a problem in my life, then I am never going to connect with the God thing. So I was seeking God when I was writing for Eka Girl. I said, God, I need to know. You know, I feel like you're telling me gather women, and yet they don't like each other. They rally around not liking each other. They distance themselves from the feminine. They align themselves with the masculine and strength. God, what are we going to do with this? And he said, my daughters don't understand who they are. He said, in the very beginning, there was a problem. The very first problem in creation was that the man was alone. And he said, I made the woman as an answer to creation's problem. And he said, it was me who said it's not right for the woman to remain hidden within the man and for creation only to hear the man's voice. She needs to come out. She needs to have expression. The creation needs to respond to her. It needs to see her. And so God actually perceived this before Adam perceived it. He gives Adam the job. He says, name everything. That shows what men are really good at, positioning things, designating things. But when Adam got done naming everything, he said, wait a minute, there's no one like me but different. I have no connection with one person. I have no one who knows my heart. And so what happens, God and Adam partner, and this woman comes out. She's bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. He said, this is just what I needed. God said, you begin to tell the women on earth, you begin to tell my daughters of heaven who walk earth right now, that they are an answer, not a problem. And their femininity is an answer, 
not a problem. Wouldn't be better if they had been men. They wouldn't be more effective if they'd been men. They are answers, not problems. And he said, you know, a generation of women need to get up every day, look in the mirror and say, you know what? There is a problem out there today that I am an answer to. Now, the first thing that, I don't know if we, we threw the term up there for you. The first thing that we see that God placed into the heart of a woman is the priority to be helpful. I love how uh, she puts it. That in the beginning, God created woman to be the answer to creation's problem. But in our world, our world is subtly and quietly telling our women that their femininity is a liability, not a strength. I, I know, I've seen my wife work in a, in a male-dominated field now for about 10 years. And in that, I mean, she has come up against opposition and it's really easy in that moment to to step out and say that, that I wish I wasn't. I wish I was, that there was something different about me. But the truth is, is that God created the heart of a woman to be different than the heart of a man. And in the very beginning, God created the woman to be an answer. Now, in the context of relationships, this works out in some different ways. And I just want to show you how this can go right and wrong. It can go wrong very quickly because some women find it very easy to look at the weaknesses that they see in people that are around them, especially people that they love, and they're trying to cover them. Now, that is a great thing when it has boundaries, but sometimes it doesn't. And there's some really gross, negative things that are happening. And out of the desire to help and to, to, to be helpful, they try to hide those things. We like to call that enabling. But in the best way that that works out, especially in the context of a marriage, it's that the strengths that God has placed into the heart of the woman become a complement to the strengths that are present. I'm so glad that my wife is my wife because she, she is so very strong in some areas that I'm not. And there's some things that she does really, really, really well that I could never be that good at. You see, God designed femininity to be, to be helpful or to think about it this to be an answer. The second thing that I see is that God designed the heart of a woman to be nurturing. This is one of those things that I'm glad that my wife is good at this. Because I'm not. You see, nurturing is the capacity. 
to take something into work tirelessly, effortlessly, long, long, long years to see that thing grow, develop, mature, change. It's the capacity that is within the heart of a woman to take a man who can't get a whole lot right, love him anyway, keep loving him when he can't get it right, point out some things that he can do better. It's what's in the heart of a woman that can take a small baby and hold her, care for her, and pour life into her. It's what enables a woman to, to take something and develop. But it's, it's not. The, the thing that I want you to see is that it's almost as if when God gave these hearts away, these priorities, he took things that were very deeply connected to himself and gave, all right, here, this is the priority that will go with the man. And God himself, though, isn't he? Nurturing with us. Now, I wanted to share a video with you this morning. It is my wife giving her testimony. Many of you don't know this. And, and I wanted you to see it this morning. My wife is really one of the most nurturing, loving people. But as you watch this, watch how in the same way that she is nurturing that God himself has been nurturing to her. Yeah. Watch this video. My story isn't a story of rebellion, but it is a story of brokenness. One Wednesday afternoon when I was 16, I went to the doctor with my mom to address health issues I had been dealing with for a while. Examining my medical history and my current symptoms, the doctor proceeded to pronounce a diagnosis. The condition I was diagnosed with included a side effect of infertility. The doctor said that it would be very difficult for me to get pregnant, and I may likely not get, be able to get pregnant at all. To most 16-year-olds, this was not a big deal, but it was to me, because I already knew I had a calling to be a mom. God put it in my heart to be a mom. That night, my youth pastor planned an all-worship service. We started the evening in small groups to pray for each other. Some of my friends knelt down with me and laid their hands on me to pray for me. I wondered if God didn't want me to have kids. He gave me a heart to be a mom, but he also gave me a heart for adoption. I knew I wanted to adopt even if I could have children, so did he want me to adopt all of my children? I had so many questions and fears. Who could love a woman that couldn't have kids? Would I ever have a chance to be a mom? I haven't thought about that recently because over the past few years I started new health struggles, went through a lot of testing and had more and more questions. The symptoms from this condition have changed the way I live. At times I've been reduced, been hopeless and bedridden. I've managed through it, but who's thinking about caring for a child when you can't even care for yourself? I was struggling struggling with accepting what was happening. What had I done to deserve this? I was trying to do it right by following Jesus. Didn't I deserve something better? It's almost like brokenness just showed up 
and held my real life in ransom. One day I was venting to the Lord about things in my life as I do so often. I kept telling him how unfair things are in my life. Why do I have to struggle with health issues that affect every area of my life? Why do I have to work so hard for things people are given? Why me? Why is everyone around me having children? Why bless the woman who never wanted to be a mom? Why bless the couples whose marriages were failing? Why not me? In that moment, Jesus silenced my complaints by giving me a question and then a word. He said, Amanda, what is fair? Knowing I would not be able to answer that question, he gave me a word, entitlement. This word has changed my life. Jesus was telling me that I am living as if I am entitled to another life and not accepting the life he has given me. Who do I think I am? I'm not even entitled to the next breath of air. And yet I go on breathing, being ungrateful of all he has blessed me with. With a deep conviction, I changed my way of thinking and started thanking the Lord for another breath, another day of life. Instead of feeling entitled, I started feeling privileged and blessed. Please know, I don't always have the attitude I should, but this is the foundation I go back to. About a month after God revealed all this to me, I went through some positive physical changes that I couldn't identify felt a rush of energy and started feeling like myself again. I called Kevin and said, what if I'm pregnant? I think I could be, but I don't want to get too excited because I don't want to be disappointed. Kevin said, Amanda, just be happy with the possibility that you could be and enjoy it. He reminded me of just being grateful for the experience God is allowing me to go through. I began thanking God for the mere possibility of, think of being pregnant. That evening, I bought a test, but waited to take it the next morning. Kevin held me and prayed for me and thanked God for whatever the outcome was. I took the test and didn't want to watch it develop because I sensed an urge to be in God's presence. I thanked him and asked him for the strength to deal with either outcome. In the background, I could hear that Kevin had turned on worship music. As I sat there, I made up my mind to praise God no matter what. A positive test would be a miracle. But if the test was negative, I was going to be thankful. I'd be thankful no matter what. But the test wasn't negative. It's my privilege to tell you that Kevin and I are expecting our first child. Church, God is here. God still does miracles, church. So it's, um, it's been 19 months since Adelaide came in the world. Um, since then, I've seen something emerge in, in Amanda's heart. And it's just interesting when you're that couple, you know, and you're kind of going through that. And you see that, that here, here's this thing that God embedded. She's like, I can sleep through the baby crying at night. I can just, and, and somehow, I mean, she just stirs and man, it's like, I'm on this. <laughs> you know, like a couple of times when, when Adelaide was young, um, I, I, uh, I tried to, you sleep, you, you know, I know you're tired. And I'd go up and I'd get her, you know, be half awake. And, and then I'd look up standing in the doorway. What are you doing up? I told you to sleep. 
but it's, it, it, that, that desire to nurture is, is so distinctive. And, and we wanted to, to share some other news. If y'all would look at this picture, we saw this this week. So it is. Um, you get to do that when they're pregnant all the time. She has not been eating a lot of hamburgers. That's the baby in there. Um, so we're, even, even through this journey, I'm just going to give you a hug and send you back. I love you. Um, even through this journey, uh, I have seen that, that God, God himself is so nurturing and caring. Just in the same way that God gives himself the priority over all creation to be the leader. But, and he separates these things into the heart. And he takes this desire to be nurturing and places it in the heart of a woman. The last thing as we get ready to close is that, that God designed the heart of a woman to be supportive. And last week I told you something that's very important just to kind of take and, and own and know. And that's that the, the roles of, of these, these designations and priorities were not uh, created in the fall. They were corrupted in the fall. And so the design that was in place gets messed up when sin enters the world. And so, in Genesis 3.16, as we walk through this thing, we see this verse. And, and I'm just going to kind of set this up for you. What had happened was, if you, if you don't know the story, that Adam and, and Eve had walked into the garden. God gave them one rule. Don't eat from this one tree. It's, I mean, most of us think, God, if you just gave me one rule, I could do that. God shows us, no, we couldn't, all right? Not even one rule, we'd blow it anyway. Um, and, and he, he the, the, the woman, Eve, goes and, and partakes of this after she is tricked. Now, now, the thing that's odd about this is that when you read through the book of Romans, the book of Romans never talks about Eve. It never blames Eve for the problem. Okay? Ever. Not one time. It says that we're all born under Adam. Adam is the one that sinned. And as you read carefully through the detail, you actually find out that Adam wasn't like out getting the groceries or off playing golf with his friends. He was actually right next to his wife when she decided to eat the fruit. And God says something to Eve that is remarkable. And it is, a, it is a tension that has existed in the world since that moment. He said in Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. The English translation there is extremely bad. Okay. Hebrew is this very loose language. Let me, let me just kind of bring some clarity. God says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband's position. But he will rule over you. 
Like all of a sudden, there's going to be this tension that you're going to want to do something and your husband's going to want to do something. So when we fast forward to Ephesians 5, as Paul begins to lay out the rules and how a relationship should functionally work back and forth, he gives the priority of the husband to lead and to love his wife and his family, like Christ loved the church. And he says this in Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You see, I will tell you right now what I tell women when I'm doing premarital counseling. The first thing that I have them to do is to have them to pray through a question that is pivotally important when you're about to get married. It's this question. Should this guy ever be your husband? Ask Jesus. Should this guy be your husband? Should you get married to him? Because if you come back and tell me yes, God said yes. God said that he is yes. Then you can trust Jesus even when you don't think you can trust him. You see, submission implies that there's going to be a difference of opinion. You see, if God called us to lead by agreement, he would, or consensus, he's saying, let's merge our opinions. But in the same way that Adam and the end of the story is held responsible Men are going to one day be held responsible. And so the heart that God gives a woman is to be supportive. Now, I would like you to look at, at this video. This is Priscilla Schreier. I promise you there's not a, a better female preacher in America than this lady. She is phenomenal. She said this to me once. She said, Priscilla, a man's greatest fears, two of them, the fear of being controlled by a woman and the fear of being found inadequate. Well, when you know going into a relationship with your husband or currently in a relationship with your husband, when you know up front that those are his two fears, that somebody's going to figure out he's inadequate or that he'll be controlled by a woman, then you can go into your relationship and spend your time trying to dispel those fears to let him know that you do not want to control him, that you trust him, that he is your hero, that, he, that you really believe he can accomplish the task at hand. Even if you do have some reservations about that, even if you do think you might be able to handle something better than he can, when you dispel spell his fear, you will find that the repercussions of him knowing that you believe in him and don't want to control him, but want to honor him and um, place faith in him, the repercussions of that really come back on you a hundredfold um, of a man who, who really feels like he's married to a woman that believes he's capable. And then if he recognizes that, that you really care for him, even in spite of his inadequacies, inadequacies, that you're not going to be pointing them out, um, bringing his weaknesses to the forefront. Humiliating um, him. Humiliating him. Because the thing is, he knows he's inadequate in different areas, just like you and I know we're inadequate in different areas. Nobody likes someone who will point out their inadequacies and make a huge spectacle out of them. But oftentimes, don't we do that? We kind of bring their weaknesses to the forefront over and over and over again. And you and I wouldn't want to be married to somebody like that, so we shouldn't be those kind of wives to be married to. So we get ready to, to close this. 
what, what I would do and say today to, to our ladies and to our men as we look into the heart of a woman is that, that God's way is always a better way. God's way is always better. It's better than a, a way that we could invent. It's a, better than the way that we think, no, I don't want to be that way because I think it should be. But if I ever begin a sentence with a, I think it should be, it's probably not the best. And I said uh, a couple of weeks ago when we talked to the men that I believe that, that God could raise up a, an army of young men who are committed to be the kind of men that God's called them to be. But in the same way, I think that in our hearts, all across the room, if we could just say, God, I'm, I'm committed to be that woman. I'm committed to be that man that marriages could transform. That lives could walk away from some very difficult conflict. And I believe that, that this is so pivotal because the way that we behave as men and women, it literally affects every area of our lives. So let's pray. God, today as we just pause again, God, I just want to thank you that in this room that there's those of us who when we come in contact with the truth, we're reminded of the fact that, God, I look at this standard and I see myself so far away from it. But thankfully to your goodness and your mercy and your grace, we do not have to stay where we are today. And so in the heart of men and, and women that are here today, God, would you encourage us Strengthen us, call us, so that through your great light, God, that we could see the way to get around our brokenness. With nobody looking around, everybody's eyes closed, I just want to ask the ladies a question. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or move or go anywhere else, but this is really just a commitment between you and Jesus. If you look at the message today and you look into that and you say, hey, you know what? There's something there that I feel, I feel a little convicted about that. I feel like God has really kind of pushed on this area in my life and I want to get a little bit better. I want to repent. I want to turn around and be different. If that's you, would you just raise your hand as a sign of commitment to Jesus right now? I see those. I see those. So let me pray, God, for those that are here that sense a, a calling, would you, through your grace and mercy, just be there, be present, God, in a way that calls us out and changes us, God, for your glory and for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.